0: Well, it's good to see you again. Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and this is our Sunday school lesson. And uh we're turning the page on the calendar as we get ready to do this. This is for January the 2nd of 2022. I uh think about the new year and I think about some of the anticipation, a reset, uh new goals and new opportunities, those kind of things. And uh, yet I think it's important for us to remember that uh, there are people, maybe I'm talking to you, going through some rough times, rough times with your health or with your family or economically, those kind of things. Um, And we could probably go on and on and on with that. But uh, I think it's important to remember that when you're going through times like that, those kind of things don't pay attention to the change in a calendar. I remember back in 2020, when we were going through so much with COVID, people were saying, oh, I can't wait until it's 2021. And I said to one person, well, what makes you think that 2021 is going to be any different? Well, it just has to be, it can't be any worse. Well, things carry through on the calendar. And so as we get ready to think about a new year, I don't wanna take away all of your optimism and, and your hope, Um, you should do that. You should look ahead and you should plan and all of those kind of things. But don't forget that for a lot of people, what was true of 2021 is going to be true in 2022, at least the first part of it. And let's not forget them and just run on past them like they don't matter. Continue to pray for one another, continue to minister. And if you are in those hard times, Don't fall for all this stuff that just because the year number changes that your situation is going to change. And then you wonder what's wrong with me and why isn't this happening? They don't read the calendar, do they? Like we do. So certainly I pray for you, each one of you, that you will have a happy and a joy-filled and prosperous new year. But uh, even if that doesn't seem to happen because I don't know what the future holds, and you don't know what the future holds. We can guess, but we don't really know. Only God knows. And as we uh, wonder about even our government, what policies, what laws, um, we, this is an election year. Who's going to be elected? Who's going to be in Congress? I mean, we, we just don't know. We can speculate, but who who knows? And as to what's going to happen in the economy, what's going to happen morally, what's going to happen in terms of even God's discipline and judgment upon us as a nation. We we just really don't know. But there are some things that we can know. And I think that sometimes we spend so much time focusing on what we don't know, we're unsure of or speculate about about, that we miss what really is true. And so uh, we're going to take a break from the New City Catechism during the month of January. I wanted to take some time in these lessons just to address some things that I think will bless and encourage, correct, and strengthen uh, our church. And this is a prayer for a new year. And our scripture that we're going to look at is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 23 through 28. So if you will go ahead and turn there And uh, let's read this with the idea of considering where we are now. And these verses will tell us where we should be. And my challenge would be, what steps are you personally going to take to get there? Now, I know, as I said earlier, you may have some bad carryover. I started to say hangover. That wouldn't be right. Some carryover from uh, 2020 and 2021 but you can still do what we have here. You may be living on top of the world and everything's great, but you still need to look at these things and consider the passing of time, consider your own mortality. You are closer to death than you've ever been in your life right now. You may not feel like it, but that's the truth. We're closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ than we've ever been in history. He may or may not come this year. I don't know, but I know we're closer than we are. And I think we need to look at our work with God, our walk with God. Are we just coasting along or are we really walking with him with intentionality and with passion? And so um, Paul's prayer for the Thessalonian believers is just perfect for our situation, so again, it's First Thessalonians five, twenty-three through twenty-eight. Verse twenty-three: Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse twenty-four: He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us and greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then he closes it with an amen. So be it be a good way to translate that. So what is Paul actually praying for? How do we break this down? How do we get the principles out of this that we can take and apply to our own life? Well, first of all, as you read through the scripture, think always of two things. What did this mean in the mind of Paul when he wrote this? It's authorial intent. I can't say that. And then secondly, what did it mean to the people to whom he wrote it? What uh, were they understanding it? And once you get that, then you can make application to your own life. Now, when we think about the Thessalonian believers and we think about the culture in which they lived, it was more of a Greek culture, a Gentile culture, than it was a Jewish culture. Some of where Paul would go and write to the majority of the people there were Jews and Christianity came up out of that. And uh, there were certain things that early Christians participated in that normal everyday Jews participated in. Paul went to the synagogue every Saturday. And uh, when you read in the book of Acts, you find the early church not only gathering for worship on Sunday, but they would also spend time in the temple, wouldn't they? And uh, they could relate. They could understand one another. They knew where the Jews were coming from and the Jews knew where the Christians were coming from. They may not like it, but they knew and they understood. But what happens when Christianity starts spreading into the Greek, the Greco-Roman culture of the day? And... um, where Jews and Christians would both agree there's only one God and they would both refer back to the Old Testament. When you get into a Romanized uh, type society, they didn't do that at all. They worshiped a multiplicity of gods, did not believe in monotheism. They didn't believe in the Bible, especially the Old Testament. They ate anything they wanted to eat. They had no dietary laws. Their morals were... uh, well, they're way worse than anything we see in our culture today. Just gutter, gutter morals and all kinds of things like that. So how can Christianity address that? And that's where the Thessalonian believers were. And so when Paul prays this prayer for them, he's praying for believers living in a godless, immoral, pagan society. Sound familiar? That's kind of where we live, isn't it? So, whatever would apply to the Thessalonian believers would certainly apply to us. So, here's the first thing he prayed for for further sanctification. And the reason I put that down and worded it that way is I think that speaks to us. Are you stuck? Have you finished growing? Are you as passionate about knowing the Lord and knowing His Word and serving Him as you once were? Are you as eager to obey Him? Are you as constant and fervent in prayer as you used to be? Are you a witness for Christ as you used to be? Is your lifestyle showing the holiness of God like it used to? Now, granted, there are some things we did as baby Christians that were wrong, and legalistic and unmandated by the word of God. I'm not talking about those things. Those should be cut out of your life. But what about just the motive, the intent, the fire, the pursuit, all of those kind of things? Like David, we ought to be in pursuit of the heart of God. And that's what Paul is praying for for them. Don't let the culture cool you down. Don't let opposition cause you to be like a turtle and pull into your shell. And I would say, as Paul was saying here, this is a time to stand up. This is a time to be bold. This is a time for Christians to be counted. The world needs it, and God uses that, and we ought to be the salt and light that we are supposed to be. Now, notice this comes from the God of peace himself. It doesn't come through our rituals. It doesn't come through any kind of righteousness that we try to gain or anything like that. This comes directly from God himself. And he's called the God of peace here because this is a God who can calm us down in the midst of turbulent times. This is also the God who can calm our heart when there's all kinds of pressure coming in all around us. It can calm our, He can calm our heart even when there's opposition and persecution. I mean, it has to be scary to be a believer like they were in Thessalonica and have people, the government and other people coming after you simply because you pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet it's a God of peace who can settle all of that down. Got any problems that are coming into this year? Got any fears for this year? Maybe there's a rumor going around where you work that they're going to lay off a lot of people. Does that scare you? Maybe uh, you look and you see some things in the economy and you can kind of tell, boy, this isn't looking real good. Inflation's about to take off even more than it has been. And what's the stock market going to do with your 401k? And uh, what are wages going to do? And on and on we could go with that. Do you, does it scare you? Or has the God of peace settled your heart to remind you? You're my child. I promise to take care of you. You don't have a worry in the world. I'm going to be there for you and take care of you. The God of peace himself. And sanctify is simply a word that, on one hand, it means to make holy. We have talked about sometimes uh, with sanctification, that spiritual growth. Well, it is, but it's not really. It's more about making you holy, which would include spiritual growth, wouldn't it? but it's the idea of being, most literally in the Greek, just set apart. God has taken you and set you apart from everybody else in this world. You're going a different direction. You have a different spirit living within you. You have a different guide as you follow the word of God. You have a different agenda. You live for the glory of God, and you know that he is going to take care of you, and he wants you to be sanctified completely. And then he lists uh, spirit, soul, and body. Now, what that does is it tells us that this idea of holiness and peace, resting in the Lord, glorifying him, being joyful in him, whatever you want to attach to it, is something that it should affect every part of our lives. It's not just that I feel good about my doctrine when I come to church, but what do you feel about the promises of God when you go to work or school on Monday? What do you think and feel about the promises of God as you face a world that grows increasingly hostile toward our morality? I heard today that 75% of Americans believe that there are only two agendas. Okay, well, I guess that's good, but seriously, what are those other 25%? What are they buying into, and what are they believing? And and does not a statistic like that kind of say, well, we're still in the majority, but we're losing ground, and we're losing it fast if God doesn't intervene. And there are so many things like that going on in the world, and um, I don't think we ought to look entirely at the negative, but neither should we ignore it. Right? And we look at all of this, and we get anxious, we get uptight, we may get afraid. And Paul is saying, hey, take a deep breath, calm down. And my prayer is that the God of peace himself would sanctify or set you apart or make you holy in every area of your life. And that's where we need to live as we wait for the Lord's return. Because our sanctification, of course, is progressive and only death stops it. Only glorification stops it. And uh, God can sanctify us through positive means, I like that, but you can also do it through negative means as well, just as you would correct your children sometimes with rewards and praise, and sometimes you had to do it in a more negative way. And sanctification is something that changes every part of our lives. It doesn't just affect our church life or our spiritual life, it's every part of our life our parenting, our marriage, our work ethic, everything. Consider Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 15. And having shod your feet, this is about the armor, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And the idea of preparation means readiness. And these shoes of the gospel of peace, they cause us to stand firm so that we have stability and we're ready for the attack of the enemy. We're ready for whatever may come on. And we need to look at 2022 and whatever time the lord gives us here on earth with the idea of being ready being prepared being sanctified for those times because we don't know what they hold and we don't know when they're going to come but the apostle told us that in the latter days perilous perilous times would come i think we're living in that time and seeing the beginnings of some of these things we need to be ready have your feet shod with the good news of peace you have peace with god and that makes you ready prepared to stand firm when the enemy attacks second peter chapter 1 verse 3 as his divine power has given to us listen all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue. Now, did you get that? We already possess all things that are necessary for what? Life and godliness. Notice how Peter delineates those things for us, that I have whatever I need to live in this sinful world, and I also have whatever I need to be godly and to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. I don't have to sin. I'm not forced to compromise. I am not... In a situation where it's just like, what else are you gonna do? Go along with the world? No, we can't do that. We've gotta stand firm against all of that. And so the idea is we wanna be holy, completely sanctified or holy or set apart for the Lord's use this year more than last year. Number two, for every part of our life to actually be holy. And may your whole, W-H-O-L-E, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we think about these various parts of us and we realize that when God saved us and God redeemed us, his intention is to complete the work, every part of us, spirit, soul, and body to be redeemed. Now, sometimes I hear people say at a funeral, while they're looking at a casket with a corpse in it, well, at least he's got his new body now. Well, no, he doesn't. Not yet. That doesn't happen until the rapture when that body, First Thessalonians chapter 4, is taken up out of the grave and made to be an immortal glorified body. But he is going to do it. What God saves, he saves completely, and he's got a plan for us spiritually, he's got a plan for us soulishly, our mind, will, and emotions, what we use to live and to make it in this world, and also even for these corrupted bodies. And the Lord Jesus is coming back, and Paul's prayer is for the Lord to return and to do everything he's promised to do for us, in us, and through us as believers. Now, justification gives us the Holy Spirit and a new nature. That's when uh, the penalty of sin is taken away. That's at the point of salvation. And sanctification works on our mind, the way we think, our will, what we choose, and our emotions, how we feel in and about everyday life. And glorification includes the resurrection of the body. In John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, Sanctify, that's our topic here, right? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And while the whole world, every talk show, every book, every movie, everything screams out, this is the truth, this is the truth. They have no earthly idea. Jesus settles it for us. The word of God is truth. And so if you're going to be sanctified, you've got to spend time in the word of God. And you need to make a plan for this year on how you're going to do that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, listen to this. Everybody says, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? And the Bible tells us what the will of God is and we ignore that. Don't ignore this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, nobody is more pro your sanctification than God is. And sometimes I think we think that God has his arms folded, his back turned toward us. And he said, whenever you give me something that I can smile about, then I'll turn around and smile. Truth of the matter is, he's never turned his back on us. He is always with us. And his spirit is always drawing us, leading us, whatever you want to say, to holiness and to sanctification. And God says in 1 Thessalonians 4, the sanctification is that you should abstain from sexual immorality. This may be the year to really clean up your life. This may be the year to get rid of pornography out of your life. This may be the year to get rid of any kind of immorality with another person out of your life. This may be the time to uh, get your mind and your thinking straight. The will of God is your sanctification, your holiness that you should abstain from sexual immorality because you're going to reap what you sow. And it's just absolutely stupid to keep sowing to the flesh and then complain when you reap from the flesh. You need to sow in the spirit. Sanctification. Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, and my redeemer now notice how the psalmist got it even in the old testament what comes out of my mouth needs to match up with what's in my heart and it does by the way jesus said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks jesus said that you pull up whatever is in your heart a good man out of the good treasure in his heart pulls up good things, but a wicked man, because of the wickedness of his heart, pulls up bad things. Why do people cuss? Why are people so negative? Why are they so mean? Why do people betray other people? What, what is it that's going on with all of this? It's a wicked heart that does that. And so for believers, there should be nothing that is different between what we say our heart is committed to the Lord, loving the Lord, and and right with God and all of that, and then our lips betray us. The psalmist wanted for himself, and this is what we ought to want, a pure heart that also results in pure speech. Let the words of my mouth, speech, and the meditation of my heart, your motive, your thoughts, what's behind it. We don't want to be liars. We don't want to be hypocrites. We want it to match up, and that is to be acceptable in the sight of the Lord. Good prayer, good prayer. Number three, we want to pray this year for dependence upon God's presence and power, because you have that. He's not at a distance. He doesn't come running in at the last minute like the cavalry to save you. Uh, He's always with you. He's with you in your trials. He's with you in the pig pen. He's with you everywhere that you go, and in everything that you do, because it's not so much about our faithfulness as it is his faithfulness. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Sanctification is a work of God. It is both a calling and a promise, and it results in being set apart for God's glory and use. In other words, it means that we're available to the Lord. Lord, I know I'm not perfect, But I am available to you for you to use me however you want to use me. And I'm also available for correction. And so many people today never want to be corrected. If you say anything other than you're right and that's good, they tune you out. They may even reject you and walk away from you. And I'm talking about in the church, people who have been saved a long time. Don't you dare try to correct me. And yet that's what the Bible tells us to do. We're to help one another. We're to get in the way of other people when they're headed down a wrong path, and they don't always appreciate that. That's a mark, by the way, of spiritual maturity. Can you take a rebuke? If you can't, you're a baby. If you can, then you're on the road to maturity. That's a good thing. Available to the Lord. Enthusiastic. We don't just drag our heels and do it because nobody else will and why do I always have to do these things? It is an honor to be able to serve the king of kings. We do it empowered. We don't do it in the strength of the flesh. The Holy Spirit has gifted us and he empowers us. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you'll be my witnesses. But notice the Spirit brings the power. And that power makes us enthusiastic and uh, available to the Lord. And uh, we want to do it with the joy of the Lord, with the power of God in our lives. And it makes us fruitful. We bear fruit because of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, that means you've got enough of whatever it is you need, spiritual or physical, that you may have an abundance for every good work. You know how to interpret that verse? God's will is that in every area of your life, physically, spiritually, emotionally, as well as materially to have enough where all your needs are met and you can do everything God wants you to do. And then to have an abundance above that, that you can share with other people. We don't want to be greedy. We don't want to be stingy with anything. If I learn something out of the word of God, I should want you to learn that same thing. If God has blessed me spiritually, I want to share that blessing with you. And if God has blessed me materially, I want to share that blessing with someone else as well. That's what he's talking about. Number four, another prayer for the new year is for a commitment to Christian fellowship. Now we are so isolated and COVID hasn't helped it any, has it? We're stuck on our phones. We're stuck on our video games. We don't know how to relate to one another. We don't know how to talk to other people. We don't care about other people. And uh, Paul prays here in verse 25, brethren, pray for us. In other words, that's an open door invitation for you to be involved in our lives at a very intimate spiritual level but that's not all. Verse 26 makes me cringe. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Okay. That is a cultural way that they would greet each other. I'll put it this way. Uh, A holy handshake or hug will do. Okay. But what is that really saying? Be involved with other people. When you're worshiping online, you can't greet the brethren. When you're absent from the church, you can't greet the brethren. So Paul is calling here not only for prayer, but he's calling for physical interaction that we have together. Showing love, showing affection, helping one another, being involved in one another's lives. And then verse 27, he says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Now you'll notice in there, Paul did not consider the brethren to be just cheap, no good, ignorant, worthless, foolish people. He called them holy, didn't he? Why? Because they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They are children of God, and we ought to treat one another as such. Hey, if God loves that person you can't stand, you should too. If God tolerates people that are immature and weak and sometimes even sinful, then we should too. We should as well. And he says also, that I charge you in the Lord that this epistle be read. We are supposed to be involved in the teaching of other people. Now, you may not be called to be a formal teacher in Sunday school or a pastor or anything like that, but you teach your children. Husbands, you should be teaching your wives. And older women are to teach younger women, according to Titus 2, and older men, the younger men. I mean, all of us are to teach in some way, some form, some fashion. And we are to relate to one another what the word of God means to us. And it's all done, verse 28, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ working in and through us. We don't do this. It's the power of God. It's God himself working through us as we are available to him. So there's praying, there's interaction, there's gathering to hear the word of God and to worship and also to walk in grace but then that last word says something to us as well. Amen. What are we to do? Folks, it's our job to affirm truth wherever we find it. If I'm up here preaching and I say something that uh, resonates with you, say amen. And don't whisper it, especially you men. Say it like a man. And uh, that is encouraging to me and it's encouraging to other people around you and even lets a skeptic know, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, people believe this. We ought to affirm those kind of things is what Paul is telling us here. And so let's just conclude by saying if this prayer were answered this year, how would it change your life? If this prayer that Paul prayed were answered in you, how would it change your life? How different would it look? How would it change the way you interact with others? Don't let all of the COVID mess and all of that stop you from doing what the Bible commands you to do. You've got to make a choice. You can't live and work in fear. Be wise. Yes, of course, be wise, but don't live in fear and don't isolate yourself out of fear. How would it change the way you walk with God? Would you be just the same as you are right now? are the same as you were last year? Or would your walk with God look more holy, more joyful, more peaceful, more loving, more consistent? How would it look? And I'm going to just go out on a limb and say, I think it would look a whole lot different and a whole lot better. So as we come into these opening days of 2022, may God bless us to see this prayer answered in us, in our family, in our society, and oh, don't leave out this, in our church. And may the Lord bless you and enrich your life. And I do pray that you would have a happy and prosperous new year. But above all, I pray that you will grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory and for your good. Thank you for taking the time to watch this. Teachers, thank you for your... Uh, study, and for the way that you work, and uh, contact your class, be ready to teach your class, pray for your class, and for those of you who are watching this, because you couldn't be here on January 2nd, and you want to stay up with us, God bless you for doing that, that's the kind of thing that I applaud, and I'm grateful to you for that, so again, thank you, happy new year, God bless.